I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to this episode of This Week in Church History, where we seek to uh, re-examine again the uh, people and events and movements that have impacted the church throughout history. And this week, uh, June 14th through June 20th, uh, we celebrate a person that uh, we love here at Midwestern, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He was born 19th of June, 1834, and became one of the most influential voices of the 19th century. And our guest this week is Dr. Jeff Chang, the newly announced director and curator of the Spurgeon Library here at Midwestern. Uh, We're so glad to have you here, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. I've I've been enjoying your show from a distance, and it's a it's a privilege and an honor to be on the show. Thank you. I, I'd like to begin with um, a, a two part but a, a related question. Um, what is it that do you believe that prompted Midwestern Seminary to spend quite a lot purchasing and then housing in the incredible facility that we have, the library, some writings and artifacts of a 19th century British preacher, and that also then has caused you to uproot yourself and your family from the beautiful Northwest and come to the incredibly hot Kansas City (laughs) um, to take the curatorship and leadership of that library and center of scholarship? Oh, boy, what a a great question. Uh, You know, the first part of that question, why would Midwestern do all this? Uh, You know, that... I'm sure there are many layers to, to, to answering that question uh, in terms of uh, the significance of just the, the, the library itself, hmm. uh, of, of this pastoral library. I mean, this is probably one of the finest Puritan libraries in all of North America. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating sort of historic um, artifact mm-hmm. <laughs> in many ways of, of a 19th century kind of pastoral library filled with some really precious volumes. Mm. So, so even mm-hmm. just the books themselves are are wonderful. But then you connect them to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you know, uh, perhaps the the most significant pastor in all of the 19th century. Uh, and and when, I'm sure we'll be thinking about the influence of his mm. life here on this call. Uh, when you when you bring those things together, I thought uh, I'm sure Midwestern just recognized that the wonderful opportunity that was there, not only for um, kind of historical value, but also for for up-and-coming scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really a treasure that, that Midwestern has acquired. Uh, as far as my story goes, uh, you know, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. That I, I finished my PhD uh, there at Midwestern working under Dr. Jason Dusing. Uh, I, I wrote on Spurgeon's ecclesiology, uh, really focusing in on Spurgeon as a pastor. Mm. And you know, in God's kindness, this door opened. Uh, to be honest, th- when I began my doctoral studies, I was not thinking about heading towards uh, the academy, uh, mm-hmm. teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, as, as this opportunity came up, as my wife and I prayed about it, we really saw the Lord's hand in all this. And, and we are excited. We're, we see this as a, a furthering of an opportunity for us to work for for the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, for training up future pastors, for uh, training of missionaries, 
Um, so we're thrilled to be leaving beautiful Portland, Oregon, uh, headed to Kansas City. <laughs> Kansas City does have its charms, and we'll make sure we introduce you yeah. uh, to them. And Thank of course, you. <laughs> the, you can't go wrong with the barbecue, right. and uh, that that does matter. Um, yes. When you look out at Spurgeon Studies in general, I, I mean, you've been immersed in the world of, uh, of Spurgeon's uh, Studies for for some time now. What excites you most about the future of Spurgeon Studies overall? Yeah. Uh, if anybody has kind of dived in a little bit into Spurgeon, you will find quickly that there's been so much written on him. Um, you know, certainly at a popular level, you've got numerous biographies. Uh, increasingly, there are numerous works that are digging into his uh, kind of his various sources, whether it's his magazine, his sermons, uh, his books. Uh, these days, uh, kind of this new wave of Spurgeon scholarship is rising up that is seeking to explore kind of the, the particular theology that he held. So uh, I, I know I had other colleagues who are working or have finished working on aspects of his pneumatology, mm-hmm. uh, his view of, of angels and demons, uh, his hermeneutics, you know, uh, and more. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this kind of new wave of, of scholarship is particularly exciting in my mind just because there's so much material out there uh, that Spurgeon himself produced, you know, and uh, and as much has been written, so much of it still remains unexplored. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and really, it is giving, you know, beyond sort of a kind of popular general view of Spurgeon, kind of it really is digging into his thinking and his ministry uh, in some I think new and helpful ways. I think ways that even speak into our current day. That's fantastic. Uh, he had such an interesting early life. Since we're talking about his birth and mm-hmm. celebrating that. Can you talk about his early years and what what was some of the more formative aspects of that for his later ministry in life? Sure. Yeah, so Spurgeon's uh, early life story is, is so much fun to read. Uh, so, so many interesting kind of anecdotes and stories. He he grew up in a Christian home. Uh, his He comes from a, a, an independent family in, 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 the, in, the, in the Reformed tradition. Um, his grandfather was a minister uh, of an independent church in Stanburn, uh, where he served for 54 years. And at a very young age, you know, because of challenges that his parents were facing, Spurgeon was sent to live with his grandfather. Uh, and so his earliest memories are growing up in this pastor's home, um, kind of going to church, seeing his grandfather work on sermons. So all, all these things sort of begin to shape his, his mind and thinking. One of the most important things was that up in the attic, his grandfather had uh, kind of this Puritan library that was handed down to him, you know, uh, through, through the years. And and Spurgeon would, would go up there uh, and with, with a candle <laughs> because uh, it was all dark. And uh, as he grew older, he, he came to love those books. Uh, he, he came to uh, love reading Bunyan and Owen. And, and all the rest of the Puritans that he could find there. And that shaped his theology. Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, growing up as a, a congregationalist, he uh, was not a Baptist, uh, but very interestingly, going off to an, uh, an Anglican school, uh, he was challenged in his view of baptism by an Anglican clergyman. <laughs> and uh, kind of unwittingly, the clergyman, uh, turned him into a, a Baptist, <laughs> uh, and, Spur- and Spurgeon sort of became convinced. Yeah, if I if I if 
someday become converted, I want to be baptized. Uh, and, um, he wrestled for a long time with his own, uh, sin. Uh, as he read again, different Puritan works, he became very sensitive to the reality of sin in his heart. Although outwardly he was very compliant, he knew the the pride and the lust and all all the rest that existed within. Uh, and and for a long time he sought salvation. He, He, he writes how he visited, kind of, he resolved to visit every church he could, you know, within kind of walking distance. Mm. Uh, and uh, at the age of 15, I believe, um, he found himself uh, back home, uh, home from school uh, because of a fever outbreak that had happened at, at his school. And and there, kind of that winter, he uh, was headed to the church that he would normally go to, but a, a winter storm blew in uh, that forced him to turn aside into a, a primitive Methodist chapel. Uh, and there, uh, the, the, the original preacher, uh, was not able to make it because of the weather. And, and as the story goes, some, some deacon <laughs> stood up and, uh, he, he preached on, you know, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. Uh, and kind of, he didn't have much of a sermon. He kind of repeated that command and he looked at Spurgeon and told him, you young man, look to God, look to God. Uh, and, and there everything kind of became clear to Spurgeon. Like mm. He was working so hard to save himself, but, but in fact, uh, what is required for salvation is simply a looking to Christ mm. uh, and a trusting in him. Yeah. Um, and so that, that sort of dramatic event, again, shaped uh, his, his life forever. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, you know, it might all... It, it might be viewed as um, a, a little ironic that uh, here we are at Midwestern as a college and a seminary honoring the, the legacy of this great preacher, uh, but one who actually never went to a seminary. And right. so I, I'd yeah. like your thoughts on what he might have said uh, about the opportunity of pursuing a theological study, especially at somewhere like Midwestern, which seeks to honor his God-driven, Bible-believing life. Yeah. Um, you know, that, even that story that I told about his conversion, I mean, he, there you have somebody who was kind of untrained, uh, mm-hmm. a, a deacon in the church who stood up and gave a very simple sermon, and, and God used that to convert him. Right. Um, and so that that... I think left a deep impression on Spurgeon where he, he recognized, uh, you know, the power of the gospel, uh, even sometimes uh, above and apart from the preacher. Um, you know, Spurgeon himself would go on to become a preacher. He was sort of roped into it. He began preaching in the lay villages. And, and, and Michael, what you were saying there, uh, he had an opportunity uh, as he was doing kind of village preaching, as he became a pastor of a, of a village church there yeah. in Water Beach. Um, he had an opportunity to go to college, and 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 yet that never materialized. Right. Uh, but for Spurgeon, as he kind of as he walked through that experience, and, and he wrote letters to his father who was pressing him to go to college, he explained to him, "Look, the the best training I'm getting is here as a as a pastor of this church, mm-hmm. Water Beach. Yes, uh, I, I am I am learning to preach. Uh, I'm learning to pastor. You know, I, I preach three, four, or five times a week, um, and, and the best." training is, is actually the doing of it. Um, so, you know, 
uh, he would, I think he would always believe in kind of the, uh, again, kind of, uh, that perhaps just the doing of the preaching, uh, is often kind of what's needed most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so often what he would see would be young men going off to college in his day and, and sort of pulled off of the front lines. Right. And mm-hmm. sort of immersed in another world and kind of the, the concerns of the people mm-hmm. and the pastorate. Um, later on, he would go on to establish his own right. uh, pastor's college. Yes. <laughs> He'd be the president of it. And, and there, the, uh, his students would be exposed to a very thorough education. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what, what Spurgeon never did was separate that from the life of the church. Mm-hmm. Right. So every student that came to be a part of his pastor's college mm-hmm. was a member of the church, attended the church, was involved in the church and the ministries of the church. They even lived with different families in the church. Um, so, so that way, uh, they, they also, in addition to getting their, their training, um, they were rooted in kind of local church mm-hmm. ministry. Um, and, and that's what, that's what I love about kind of Midwestern because we, we very much have a, a similar vision, right? Where, where all the professors mm-hmm, right. are churchmen, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we expect that of our students and we, we seek to give our students that vision. Right. And I think that an expression would very much be pleased with that. So in our own day and time where we're, you know, dealing with um, a cultural awareness, uh, a moment uh, here in 2020 of uh, issues relating to um, the 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 need for uh, justice in society and other pieces uh, like that. How did Spurgeon work in his own day to promote uh, a certain sense of uh, social justice or a corrective to to some of the ways uh, or ills of society in his own time? Well, yeah, that's such a great question, and um, you know Spurgeon was prolific in that area. Um, you know, he arrives in London in the mid 19th century. Uh, and, and, you know, London has kind of just industrialized in, in recent years and all kinds of, you know, social ills, uh, accompany that, you know, um, poverty, uh, um, the lack of education for children, uh, you know, prostitution, you know, alcoholism, list just mm-hmm. goes on and on. And, and Spurgeon, as he, as he found himself there in London as a pastor, mm. um, it was never a challenge for him to sort of think about what's the balance between kind of gospel ministry and social justice. And he, he saw those two really going hand in hand. He, he understood that salvation only comes through the gospel, absolutely. And, and, and the preaching of the gospel is paramount. And yet he understood that with all the suffering around him, he couldn't just stand by. You know? and right. So he spoke out. Uh, on, on the issues of his day. Uh, he, he founded an orphanage uh, in, in conjunction with, with several others to, to care for the orphans in his city. Um, you know, the, the Baptists in his day were, were quite outspoken on um, the issues that were going on throughout the British Empire you know, as, as uh, imperialism kind of went on around the world uh, as, as people were subjugated in different parts of the world you know, in, in oppressive and unjust ways. Uh, you know, Spurgeon, along with many other Baptists, spoke out against that. Uh, when the Baptist Union formed and Spurgeon was a part of this, they spoke out strongly against uh, the, the, the problem of slavery in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spurgeon himself did that. And 
there, you can read accounts of this where, as a result, uh, his sales, the sales of his sermons plummeted in the South, and there were book burnings held throughout the <laughs> South because of Spurgeon's words. Oh wow! Um, you know, but you know, for Spurgeon, that wasn't a a problem. He understood this is what's to be expected, right? When when we follow Christ, there is going to be opposition, mm-hmm. and and that's true when we preach the gospel, and that's true when we speak up for for justice issues. You know, uh, when we speak against sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he often encouraged his congregation not to lose heart when when that kind of opposition came about. Um, so he he truly didn't just see it as kind of a lone ranger doing this, but he was really working with mm-hmm. with his own church and, and other Baptists and other evangelicals for these social issues. Mm-hmm. That's good. And if I could just follow on from that, picking up on that aspect of, of opposition and and being attacked, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, by any worldly metric measurement he his life was uh, his life and ministry really were blessed and and successful if that's the right word but certainly it, it wasn't an easy life that he lived uh, he is opposed he suffers uh, from severe gout um, he yeah. suffers depression and and you know how important is that to see that, um, you know, living for Christ is no guarantee that we'll have an easy life. Yeah, that's huge. I I think Spurgeon here is a great model for us. You know, you're right that it's it's so easy to kind of paint his life as this really successful, uh, you know, active life, influential. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's this whole other side of it where, you know, certainly he was opposed. You know, he, even from his arrival in London and the great popularity that followed him uh, with that came a lot of opposition and, and he was constantly in the news, constantly kind of slandered uh, in the news. Yes. Um, and there were people who were kind of sort of out to get him. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the darkest periods of his life that kind of intersects with that depression is uh, this, this horrible tragedy that happened uh, in the, in the Surrey music hall um, where uh, some troublemakers basically shot a fire mm-hmm. during one of his services, creating a stampede, and, and seven people died. Uh, and, and as you can imagine, uh, the, the, the press was mm-hmm. un, unrelenting right. in their criticism of him. Um, and, and that sunk him into a deep depression. That basically kind of traumatized him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he would forever live with those scars. Uh, you know, in addition to that, gout, um, and then kind of the ongoing battle with depression for, mm-hmm. for him, he saw these things as a part of his sanctification. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think suffering shaped his spirituality, you know, his, his, his walk with Christ, um, where as he looked and experienced kind of this thing, mm-hmm. um, he understood that this was uh, an opportunity for him to trust in Christ more, for him, an opportunity for him to be humble and dependent on God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in, in spite of all his successes and his influence, uh, you actually have a man who is very tender and uh, able to understand those who are suffering and help around him because of his own suffering. Mm. And so I think that I think that's what in part made him such a great preacher uh, right. because of his suffering. Yes, mm. that's good. Well, as we do in in our podcast, we, we like to ask uh, kind of two questions that of some shape that um, that help us maybe think a little bit uh, about these individuals in a different way. So 
while historians don't tend to ask what if questions, uh, you know, what if something had, had never happened, what what would have been the case if Spurgeon hadn't lived? If from your perspective, what would have been different mm-hmm. in the 19th century? Yeah, boy, that is a, a difficult question to, to answer. Uh, and, and it's challenging because um, he has such a great impact, you know, in, in many ways. And so it's, it's kind of hard to imagine what it would have been like without him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, big picture, Boy, I mean, his his sermons went all around the world. Millions of sermons published, translated into like over thirty languages. Uh, it it kind of went mm. wherever the British Empire went. Um, and so you you think about that impact, kind of shaping people's hearts and minds as they read his sermons all around the world. You know, there there are some really fascinating figures. You know, where like the, uh, something like the ninety percent of the Baptist churches that were planted or kind of revitalized mm. during his lifetime had some connection to him or to his students. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so for, uh, for the cause of, of Baptist kind of churches throughout, throughout Britain and around the world, uh, I mean, Spurgeon had such a huge impact. Um, you know, his, and his church became an engine for, for missions, mm. for evangelism, for mercy ministries, uh, again, all around the world, uh, to China, to Africa, India. Um, I think one of the biggest impacts he had was kind of towards the end of his life, uh, just the, the stand that he took against theological liberalism. Mm. And, and there, kind of in the late uh, 19th century, uh, he was one of the first to, to sound the alarm, right? Yes. Uh, and, and, he, and, and though he, I think, wasn't fully prepared for that battle, um, his stand, I think, prepared subsequent generations. Mm. Like both in Britain, but especially in America, mm-hmm. uh, it prepared them for that battle. So, yeah, his, he shaped kind of evangelicalism in his day. He continues to have an impact uh, down to our day. Right. I think on a more personal level, you know, how what impact has he made on me? I think one of the interesting points is uh, the church that I currently pastor, Henson Baptist Church. Uh, Walter B. Henson, after whom this church is named, and one of the kind of its earliest pastors. Uh, was trained under uh, Archibald Brown, mm-hmm. who was one, one of Spurgeon's students. Right. No and way. So, yeah. So he uh, he came over from Britain, uh, landed in Canada, pastored there, and then ended up in Portland, Oregon, and pastored here. And huh. he, again, was, was significant in this church. And uh, he was known, because he was a Brit, I think, he was known as Spurgeon of the Pacific. Wow. By, by folks out here. So. Uh, so it's fun that I have you know somewhat of a connection mm. all the way to the Spurgeon's Day. Yeah, that's wonderful. That is fantastic. So let's turn to that next question that we like to ask. How should Spurgeon's life uh, encourage us as individuals, as church leaders, uh, to be for the church? Yeah, I, I, I think I think Spurgeon uh, Spurgeon's life has a lot to say to us about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I've often heard you know. Uh, a, a pastor who, who did a talk on Spurgeon, he, he said, you know, don't try to copy Spurgeon. You're not Spurgeon. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that's good advice, you know, because his, <laughs> again, if you read his life, it's overwhelming, right? Uh, I mean, all the, the books and sermons and a pastor's college, I mean, and, and dozens of churches planted and all, all that he did. Uh, and, and as, you know, as pastors, we want to be fruitful for the Lord. Uh, and certainly that, so that, that story, that picture is so attractive to us. Um, but we have to recognize that 
uh, Spurgeon, I mean, g- that God gifted and used Spurgeon uniquely uh, mm. a- in a particular moment in history. And so uh, certainly it, it would be, I think, uh, a bit foolish to try to just replicate all that Spurgeon did. At the same time, however, I think when we step back and we look at his life, uh, kind of those figures aside, um, we see a, a man who was kind of rooted in the local church, uh, you know, from, from his conversion on Spurgeon uh, sought membership, sought to be baptized and was deeply involved in, in a part of a church. Even before he began preaching, he, he taught Sunday school. Uh, he distributed tracts. Um, he, he wanted to do whatever he could to serve Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then since becoming a pastor, um, you know, on top of all that he did, really, in, in essence, what he was, was someone who was just seeking to be a faithful local church pastor. You know, uh, week after week, he he preached faithful, excellent sermons. Right? He, he did membership interviews. Um, he helped his church, think, you know, the elders think through cases of church discipline. Mm, um, right. He, he mentored he mentored younger men who were seeking to, to go into ministry. Uh, and, and, and he partnered with other pastors and other local churches and associations to try to you know, further the cause of the gospel mm-hmm. uh, you know, in their city and around the world. And so these are just the kinds of normal things that all pastors are going to be about. Right. You know? and, and in that way, even though his work takes on this amazing scale, uh, but I think in, when you step back and just look at his life, uh, he is a model of what it looks like to, to be kind of for the church, mm. um, to, to be uh, laboring uh, in the context of kind of building up God's people, uh, creating this faithful witness, not just, again, of himself, but of a whole church, a faithful witness to the gospel mm-hmm. uh, in the local church. Um, so I think he has a lot to say to us. Uh, you know, that's a lot of what I did my research on in my, in my dissertation. Uh, I, you know, if I get a chance, I want to be able to bring that out to to young men and women who are looking to serve Christ, uh, you know, in the work of ministry. Well, Jeff, I'm excited to see you do that. Um, I'm excited about your upcoming work as you uh, work on the Lost Sermons uh, series, and we continue to produce those here at Midwestern, um, which uh, for our listeners, uh, if you have an opportunity to uh, pick up one of these volumes of the Lost Sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon from his early years, they're beautiful volumes, but it also shows a very Mm -hmm. young pastor who is uh, learning how to trust the Word of God and preach the Word of God faithfully. And uh, it is such a a great tool, uh, really, for anyone and for anyone's library, which, of course, you could pick up at the Midwestern uh, bookstore, The Sword and Trout, uh, either here on our campus or online. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait for you and your family to get here to Kansas City. We're looking forward to serving alongside you. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. We'll look forward to talking to you uh, soon. And for our listeners, we'll look forward to seeing you next week.